This is an AMI podcast. I'm Kelly McDonald. I'm Ramia Amadin, and this is Kelly and Ramia. Live from the Accessible Media Studios, this is Kelly and Ramia. Entertainment, lifestyle, and great conversation. It's AMI's on air community, and everyone's invited. What a fabulous day to be hanging out with me. Well, just me I'm at the dead. moment. Are you here All as right. well? Well, I'm here. I'm Ramia Amuthan. Kelly McDonald may be here. I'm not really sure. I hear him. I'm I don't know if everywhere. you do. <laughs> Anyways, it's Kelly and Ramia, the very first episode of February 2024. And I say cheers to that for whoever's drinking this month. And we are <laughs> getting gonna get moving on two hours of content it's a variety of conversation that you can find every weekday 2 to 4 p.m eastern live on ami tv for kelly and Ramya, as well as on ami audio at 4 p.m and every eight hours after that eastern time and on your favorite podcast platform to get things started Let's talk about how cluttered our email inbox is. Did you get that weird pang in the bottom of your stomach? Because when I read this article last night, um, I'm not, I got to cite this stuff better. But anyways, it was about keeping a clean inbox. And they went on and on about different rules and theories that people have about keeping a clean email inbox. And I was getting stressed just looking at this stuff because I don't do any of it. I will say, though, (laughs) the one thing, Kels, is that I don't like having unread messages. I have heard with voiceover uh, or or screen reader, as some of my blind, low-vision friends have their screen readers on out loud, you know, like 892 unread messages. And I go, oh, my God. How? How do you deal with this? And when are you going to get through all of these emails? But I, obviously, that's just not the priority. They just go in and take whatever they emails they need. Yeah, and then uh, get back out. But for some people, they got this zero inbox rule where yeah. all the time, whether or not, whether you're reading or marking things as scam or putting them in other folders, you're getting rid of messages from your inbox and just clean, clean organization. Where do you fall on the spectrum? Uh, I just ignore the amount of ones that are allegedly unread. They're so old, they're not not worth it. And some of those came with some work maintenance being done, and they were just brought back. They were already dealt with, but when they were brought back, they were marked unread. This is a pile. I actually don't hear that. You, when I click over to my inbox, I don't even hear the number of unread, whatever. Are you serious? Um, You've yeah, d- I, actually, detached yourself to it. Yeah, yeah and actually, out. and I'll be honest with you, I if they're there... I can't actually tell you. I go into my mailbox right away. I don't give it a chance to tell me that. So uh, it maybe it says it if I alt tab over to it. But uh, you know, five unread messages. I can't. But I actually don't think mine does. Okay. Okay. Do you but have? I don't know. Uh, do you have? Okay. There's a lot of stuff like Matt Agnew, um, who will be back on the show with us soon. By the way, uh, he used to talk to us all about the automation and the productivity and all of these different things you can do with email, specifically like set up inbox rules and folder rules and uh, auto archives and blah blah, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, auto send, auto receive. Do you have any of that stuff set up? I have a rule. I just actually went and checked it because of what you were saying. I know there's a bunch of new emails in this other um, inbox, uh-huh. and it didn't tell it didn't tell me. 
What? As I all Is that tabbed your rule? over to it, and never it didn't know say, how many unread messages you have. Yep, never. And there's like a ton right there right now. <laughs> wow, I but can't. But it, it wouldn't tell me that. I can't. That's wild. I, 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 I've forgotten the days when I could ever know that. To be honest with you, I don't think my go back. personal Check your computer screen does either. Settings. No what? way. No, it's your okay. Phone? I don't Are you need signed into email on your phone? Uh, yeah, and my phone, it might. Yeah. But you I'll be honest with you, I, I think I just go fast enough that I, if it says it, as I get over there, you know, I'll You've trained it, yourself. I, I just zoom. I'm already doing something else and mm. don't hear it. All right. I just assume there is and scroll up there. Now you got me thinking this is going to bother me for the yep. next day or this two. This is going to bother like, me as well. Please find out how much, how much unread email you have and uh, tell us. Tell us here on the show. All right. Let's see. Find out. See. Let's find out what's coming up on today's show. Uh, talking about Sesame Street character that asked on X, how are you doing? And got an earful of responses. Grant Hardy is going to tell us more about that and other stuff going on on What in the World. I'm anxious to hear that because people do get funny now with, well, how am I doing? Do you really care? So I wonder if that's part of it. Um, folks, what are some basic rules, just the ones you should follow when planning packed lunch for a week? You know who's got the answer. Mary Mammoliti, she'll drop by to kick off hour two with that info for us. Looking forward to the weekly roundtable as usual on Thursdays. John Melville, our uh, Vice President of Content Development and Operations at AMI, is going to be the guest. All right. A quick follow-up to a conversation we had yesterday on entertainment with Corinne Van Dusen. Fans have been wondering for days, apparently days, uh, whether... Taylor Swift will make it to the Super Bowl next month to cheer on her boyfriend, Travis Kelsey, uh, and the Kansas City Chiefs. And if so, how many times she'll show up on TV during the game? And reporter Lisa Dwyer says they now have an answer to this highly anticipated question. They can speculate all they want, but they won't be able to bet on it legally in the United States. Betting laws vary from state to state, but the general rule is that wagering is limited to what happens on the field. Okay, so I was just going to take a sip of coffee. Okay, so wagers on Swift and other law-filled events can still be made on uh, uh, sports books like BetUS, which is based in Costa Rica and potentially in Ontario. BetMGN is waiting for Canadian authorities if such bets will be permitted. Wow, it sounds like a, a, an ad for betting. That's not what we're doing because this is also a follow-up conversation to the headlines chat we had yesterday with Grant Hardy where we said... Sports betting, soft or hard gambling? Eh, around the table, I think it can be pretty rough. Anyway, Kels, uh, obviously people are interested. They may not be able to put their money on it formally, but doesn't mean that Taylor, yet again, does not take the, storm, the, the world by storm with how much conversation she just can't stop attracting. <laughs> it kills me because um, we know all this. We know there's going to be all sorts of prop bets to get into this to, yeah. for people to bet on. We see what's going on that way. But the one thing I and one person I feel the most sorry for is Usher. We're not Usher. even talking about the halftime hey. entertainment like we normally <laughs> like are. That poor it. guy <laughs> is gone. Poor Usher. Like somebody, it's like somebody. 
ushered him out of the building. Oh, no. And he hasn't even started yet. Usher's wow. so good, though. I'm actually excited now. So thanks. Thanks for taking the uh, attention Whoa. off Taylor Swift. And how dare you? <laughs> how dare you? <laughs> the nerve. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Swifties. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, taking a break. Coming back with audio entertainment and tech, Mike Fair wants to talk about the accessible game Conjury and another much more complex game in the same genre called Doncaster. We'll learn about that and why he's hyped after the break on Kelly and Remia. If they're Swifties, are there... Don't miss a minute. Kelly and Ramya will be right back. It's Kelly and Ramya on AMI-tv, AMI-audio, and on your favorite podcast platform. Gotta say all three every single time, just in case you forget. Uh, but we are having a good time here. By good time, I'm only semi-sarcastic. Let's get to audio entertainment and technology. We do this weekly with Mike Fair. Audio entertainment and accessible technology are increasingly important in our lives. I'm Mike Fair, here to help you make the most out of your devices. We'll share tech tips and product reviews. Plus, I'll steer you towards the best accessible games, audio dramas, and podcasts. We'll talk about it all here on Kelly and Ramya. Mike, we're getting into some gaming today, but before we do that, I really want to ask you about your inbox. I'm so curious because of uh, it being <laughs> tech and you being a techie guy, and always talking a little bit of organization on some level or another, um, how does your inbox look? Do you follow any rules, regs, and have obsessions with keeping your inbox clean? I try to get, you know, get to the people who need need help. Uh, that's my kind of first thing. And I also, but I use it as a kind of a, a place to keep information that I might need later. Like if I think I'm going to need information in email later, I'll just leave it you know, red, but in the inbox. So, you know, that, that number has climbed, yeah. uh, particularly right after I released an edition of the guide. I think my record was something like a 1300 unread messages mm. at one point, but uh, no, I usually try to keep it below 50, you know, unread <laughs> messages, 1300. And do you yes. set up any inbox rules so that your scam goes to scam and, uh, or things get well, auto deleted? I use Gmail, so that takes care of a lot of that for me. Mm. Uh, it does a pretty good job, and I just have to keep an eye on the spam filter to make sure nothing gets in there that shouldn't. Okay. But overall, it's behaving nicely, uh, and it has uh, different different little sections to stick it. So I'm I'm pretty happy with uh, with how it's it's sorting. It's crazy because like we used to have conversations around you know what. Uh, how you have your bedroom really says a lot about you or, you know, whether you make your bed in the morning says a lot. Of you. And now we have to go to the virtual world and say how you keep your inbox clean says a lot about you. So it's quite interesting. Uh, let's get to some of this entertainment stuff you got for us. Before the holidays, you mentioned a game called Conjury, and it was a kind of game that blind people had never been able to play before. This week, you're beginning a deep dive. I'm curious about what this deep dive will consist of into Conjury and another more uh, complex game in the same genre. And that one's called Doncaster. So why were you especially excited, I guess, starting with Doncaster when you found out that this one was going to be accessible for blind people using iPhones, iPads, uh, iProducts? 
Yeah, well, basically, usually when these things, a new genre like this comes out that we have never had access to before, we get a simple proof of concept game, and we never go beyond that. So we get like uh, just a game that's just interesting enough to prove that it's viable, it can be done. Uh, Pinball is a good example of this. You know, you can have audio pinball. There have been examples on the iPhone and PC. The ball can roll yeah. around the stereo field, and you'd have you you can time your flippers. There are indication sounds for everything. It's all in stereo, perfectly doable. No one has taken that beyond a very simple level yet, and that's always frustrated me. Uh, so this was a really happy surprise because all of a sudden we have uh, Conjury, a simple, relatively approachable. Uh, one of these card uh, roguelike deck building card games. Okay. And we have Doncaster taken to the, it takes it to the extreme. Anything you can do to complexify uh, the, this kind of game has been done in Doncaster. So you have a real, you know, big, deep, uh, replayable game to dig into if you like the genre and you can master Conjury. So, yeah, it, it's, it's, we've never seen, and they've been, they were made accessible with them within like a month of each other. So that doesn't usually happen. Uh, it's very rare that something like that happens for, for blind people. And no, and it's kind of um, like this level of understanding that it takes that so many very simple games for the sighted community have never been accessible for blind people, right? Like we're, we're thinking card games, we're thinking pinball, like such basic idea of gaming that a lot of people just grow up with. It was, it, it was uh, you know, just very much taken for granted, I would say. And then for us to be like, yeah, but it's never, it's never been accessible for us. Like this was just not part of our uh, gaming or childhood experience. What's made it possible now all of a sudden? Basically, I think what did it was the Apple, uh, when they released their Unity plugin, they made uh, some, we, we were given notice of this plugin's availability that it was available for people developing in Unity. And that's always been a sore spot for blind people because and, you know, a lot of t times games developed, even if they were just text games, pure text-based games in Unity could be completely inaccessible. And it was very frustrating. So now there's a plugin that lets developers tap in to Apple's accessibility tools while using Unity, which is a very popular app development engine. So that plugin clearly is starting to have results. Like these two games are complex kind of card games with different, with, you know, fairly complicated screens and you can get around them and access them perfectly with voiceover. And this, this has broader implications. Like this is just the first of, I think we're going to see a lot more apps become accessible now that the mm. Unity plugin is, is there for developers to, to stick in and use and, and make their apps accessible. It still takes effort, but it takes a lot less than, than before, clearly. Yeah. Do you think that um, having this plugin is enough to encourage people? Like I think of, you know, you go on social media and everybody, every user has the opportunity to add alt text to their posts, but it's not the only it's, thing, right? Yeah. There's got to be a lot more of the actual marketing around this. Yeah, and, and we have uh, some champions, uh, particularly we have one fellow that's really working to make these games, to push developers, to encourage them, let them know, hey, there are blind people interested in playing these things. And before, it was just a simple, no, we can't. These developers, they're small. Yeah, they didn't, didn't feel they had the time to put in the resources to make these things accessible. We never got anywhere. All of a sudden, we're getting somewhere. 
So something has clearly changed in this space, and that's the only factor I could think of that would would lead to that uh, is this plugin. Yeah. Because because now we're we're starting to get places. Yeah, exactly. Like now the doors actually open to try these things mm-hmm. out and for the awareness of it. Okay, cool. So what is a roguelike deck building game? Yeah, so there are a couple parts of that. Roguelike is like a game called Rogue, which is an old uh, game I used to have on an old computer, uh, Eureka A4, as it happens. Uh, and uh, it basically put you in a dungeon and you'd go through, you were represented by an at sign and other symbols and letters represented monsters and things. And it would be a randomly generated dungeon every time. It would be mm. a different dungeon that you'd play. And death was permanent if you got killed, you had to start again. Uh, and and this takes a lot of these these tropes. It's it's basically you never know what you're going to end up with with these card uh, games in terms of what you have available, uh, how the zones are going to be laid out, uh, which creatures you'll encounter. It's all randomized, but there are certain rules. And with these, it's not just pure luck. There's strategy. There's skill involved, and that is also a thing about roguelike games. Uh, so that's the roguelike. The deck builder is you're building a deck of cards that is basically attuned to your play style. You're trying to build the best deck you can to play the cards and get as far as you can in the game with with the cards that uh, that you thoughtfully collect and and perfect. So that no matter what gets drawn into your hand, you're ready to act uh, with with uh, you know effectiveness. So that's basically what a deck builder is. Interesting. Okay, I had no idea about either of these two, so I'm very curious. And um, how do we interact with these games? So basically, when you're interacting uh, with with either game, it's the same kind of system. Both of them use, uh, you flick left or right uh, to go through your options with one finger. You double tap to choose an option, uh, and you flick up and down to go between parts of the main screen. So if you, you have your player... Uh, stats, you have stats and resources, gold, health. You can flick down, you get to your card hand, you can flick up and look at the enemies and what's what you're facing, uh, flick down to other areas. Like it's so it's very simple. You just flick up and down and left and right and double tap on what you want. It's 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 that straightforward accessibility wise, but clearly a lot of thought has gone into uh and also reading out information. These things, the cards if you wait, uh, if you flick to something like a card and just wait, it'll read out the the, the information on that card. Mm. And these cards are not regular playing cards. It's not like the jack of spades. It's this monster is has you know this much energy and has uh, this attack and can and can resist attacks from this or that weapon. Like there are rules to these cards, and that's that's the thing. But it's it's, it's like getting a monopoly card, right? Each of them have has a set of rules. That uh, that and they all interact with each other. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it it makes sense. Like um, these concepts around it making sense. I think that you know people are used to this physical uh, gameplay or card gameplay. But I'm curious about you know continuing with the accessibility side of things and when it's made virtual. So how does Conjury set us up for the adventure side of things? So basically, you're in an enchanted forest. You've been chosen as the key bearer, and you can. Uh, basically, the keys are different colors. There's like gold, silver, bronze, platinum, and they're different levels of difficulty. And that changes the stats, uh, changes the cards you get. Uh, how you know has a number of effects on the game to make it harder to, to win. You start with an eight-card deck, 
and you basically uh, get a hand of about five cards, uh, and you basically play these cards in the best combinations you can, finding synergies. Some cards work better with others, so uh, you basically are going through, and uh, uh, there are five floors. So floors one, uh, three, and five are battles, big monster battles, and floor five is a boss battle. And then floors two and four, you get to choose between either a battle or sometimes there's event. There's always a, ch a choice of two options. You have to pick one. So you have to do that on floors two and four. And you just keep going uh, all through these levels again and again. And if you survive, you get to keep the coins, the artifacts, the cards that you collect from your last run. So that's basically, in a nutshell, it's almost like a classic video game mm -hmm. situation. You just go until you and, and you run out of luck and get killed. So it's uh, it's very uh, kind of it's it very epic in that sense. That nothing really kind of changes. You're, you're just going to the different. You're gaining artifacts. You're gaining resources, but not much story to worry about. Not much sort of consequence. Right. So it's very kind of a simple kind of adventure and and battle heavy right how do you defeat mm -hmm. multiple monsters during the same turn I'm, I'm assuming this is context specifically for this game yeah well both games are kind of the same in that you use cards so you're looking for synergies so if i get a shield and it says this shield will double the damage of the weapon that you wield in your other hand then of course you have two slots for equipment in in conjury the left and right hand you can wield in the left you get to put the shield in that costs you energy to play but once it's in your hand you don't have to keep spending energy it'll just stay there until it's used and you put the weapon in your right hand and that weapon can do twice as much damage all of a sudden you can completely kill a monster every every uh, round and uh, you're facing usually multiple monsters at once so that can really help you speed through it and there are other cards, cards that will give you other advantages. Some do damage to multiple monsters. Some boost the effectiveness of other cards. And so it's all about remembering, finding these combinations, trying to stack your deck in your favor so that you have the cards to do, to deal with these these uh, appearing monsters as they come. And uh, it's it's all, there's a lot of fun. There's a lot of kind of thinking quickly, dealing with what's at hand, literally, you know, trying to... Uh, to maximize that so that you, you come through with as many cards and as mm. much life as possible. Um, being a different character usually in games makes a difference. So how does it affect it in this game? Basically, different characters have different rules. So I'm uh, if you play on the first character, you have no special abilities and you get parry and jab cards for your first cards. And then you have to you kill uh, the monster, you get a weapon, all the weapons kind of behave as they do. So it's all about combining the cards, and uh, you can buy artifacts if you have enough money. You can upgrade your weapons. Uh, other characters do things differently. I have another character that I've unlocked that is uh, a heat meter, and every time you act, you increase the heat meter, and when it overheats, it, there's a bit of a blast, and it damages all the monsters by two. And then you change over to freezing. While you're freezing, all those attack cards are now all of a sudden used to defend you against the monsters. So you and cards have different behaviors if you're heat, you're getting hotter or you're cold. So you have to sort of think about that. It changes how you think about all those cards. Uh, another character is a shapeshifter. So he shapeshifts between a mouse, which can dodge pretty much every attack, and a bear, which can do more damage with weapons and things. So you have, again, you have to think about when to play those cards as you change between those two forms and or back into human. Uh, so it, it, again, changes how you think. It's still the same game, but 
different kind of uh, rules apply, different thoughts about how to use those cards to the best of your ability, uh, given the different conditions and powers of your characters. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm curious, like going back to the accessibility side of things, Mike, because you're explaining a lot about the actual gaming concept and, you know, clearly there there's the aspect of how they've made all of this accessible. But for beginners, can it be frustrating with the accessibility? Trying out, trying their hand out, something like this. Yeah, because it, it, it's a very different kind of thing. It's the controls are very simple, but getting used to the, the, sort of the cards. Like one thing about Conjury is when you kill a monster, go all the way to the right uh, to check for loot bags, weapons, or uh, food ba uh, bags because they'll be waiting. It won't let you sort of pass to the next turn, uh, but it, 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 the voiceover doesn't say everything out loud. All the time so sometimes you have to really look flick through the whole screen uh to find out oh okay i forgot about a loot bag that i never picked up and then you cancel the end of your turn you grab the bag it'll, it'll give you a choice you can usually pick between three different choices to add to your deck and uh that's that's kind of how the game progresses so you got to get that you got to retrieve your your loot before you move on to the next turn uh, you can go on and just ignore it, but that I don't, I've never seen an advantage to doing that. I guess you'd you'd have less cards in your deck, which means you'd decrease the chances of of the cards that you want appearing. So that might be one reason. But uh, yeah, that's that's one thing that I, that I didn't get right away. And I went, oh, okay, there's a loot bag there I completely missed, and that was what was holding me up. So there are little things like that, and. This is a brand new genre, and it's right. well for for us it's new, and it's new to be made accessible. So there's bound to be little things like that. They're probably going to improve it over time. Yeah, but boy, it's it's certainly off to a wonderful start. I'm sure, and like I want to just touch on that aspect of it being new to us, which sometimes makes it feel like work, right? Like there's gaming and people who are regular gamers uh, like yourself and Marcus McCracken, who comes on the show, you're more keen to kind of try things out and to fiddle around and say, oh, this is for me or not for me, but not base that off of how accessible it's feeling. Because I think there's that learning curve and that initial aspect of this is annoying. I think, you know, yeah. having a screen reader on or having voice prompts on when gaming in and of itself can feel super annoying and agitating and think like, I'm just so turned off by gaming this way. It's yeah, it does take a bit of a learning curve, especially with a genre like this. Uh, but, you know, it's it's good for casual play. Once you get over that, that learning curve, uh, it, you really are rewarded with something that's very replayable, massively replayable. It, you know, two games are going to turn out the same. Uh, and, and that's that's a big reward in and of itself. If you've ever finished a big adventure game and wished it would never end, yeah. And then you know this this will be different every time you play. Mm. Uh, you know, same mechanics but different outcomes, and you have to sort of really think on your feet. Uh, so it rewards you know if you spend the time to to learn the mechanics, it, you are get very deeply rewarded. Like I will be playing, especially you know Doncaster, both these games really, you know for for years like there's so many there's 250 cards in uh conjury something on the order of a thousand cards in doncaster that these are massive amounts of mm. of events of possibilities that can come together to create this this kind of adventure conjury has kind of a video game feel uh you know a very kind of cute graphics i'm told kind of sound is the same way and you're just kind of going through 
uh, there's you know, the music in the background. You, it, the sound and music are available. You can have it all. You can adjust the volume. Nice. There's uh, the settings. So uh, that's all thought through. And it's it's good for kind of casual play. Just pick it up, play for five minutes. Just try it out. Away. Yeah, It'll exactly. Keep your place. That's yeah. awesome, Mike. Well, boss fights sound really cool in Conjury as well. They're pretty special. We're not going to get into it, though, because we're going to wrap. But it uh, looks nice. And thank you for featuring not just both of these games, but just the um, accessibility and interest around this stuff. Thank you. Absolutely. We'll be back with uh, more in the Doncaster in the next week. There you go. Looking forward to it. Mike Fair joins us on Thursdays. We cover a bit of audio entertainment, a lot of tech, and um, because it's entertainment, we also feature a lot of gaming. You can find Conjury and Doncaster in the App Store on your iPhone and on your iPad. And uh, look forward to more conversations around this next week. After the break, a Sesame Street character asked on X, I don't know why they would do this, but how are you doing? And they got an earful. Grant Hardy is going to tell us more about that on What in the World after the break on Kelly and Ramia. Stick around and learn something new. Kelly and Ramia return with more in a moment. still tuned in to Kelly and Rumya. Hope you were here for the first little bit of the show. We got a lot of conversation going about um, accessible gaming with Mike Fair. You can always revisit content on your podcast platform as well by searching for Kelly and Rumya. It's just me solo right now, but uh, that is okay. We are going to get a lot of guests and contributors on to fill out the remainder of the two-hour show. Also, the Taylor Swift haters are out. Yeah, I'm talking about you, Brock Richardson. Apparently, we might see too much of Taylor Swift on our TVs, so if he could bet on it, he would. He's going to make a lot of money on hating on Taylor Swift. Brocky, you in it for the money? Anyways, tell us in the comments section. Let's get into what in the world. This is where we flip through quirky stories with Grant Hardy every other week. Do you want to know about the craziest stories news has to offer? Look no further than What in the World with myself, Grant Hardy, where I explore the most preposterous, comical, and mind-boggling stories from all across the globe. Grant, inbox question for you. How organized is your inbox? Do you have rhymes and reasons that oh, you follow? Man. I know. I am, I am so glad, to be honest, that I... <laughs> miss this question because my <laughs> inbox is uh, make sure to watch my language here my inbox is is a disaster i basically follow the rule of you've heard of inbox zero yes. i follow the rule of inbox infinity <laughs> so i basically just keep everything in my inbox and i don't like archive or delete anything Do you mark things I've as been, red as you read them like if I open it, I guess it marks oh as red. But I do, yeah, I've I've been called out on my my email style a lot because Ooh. whatever strategy I'm using, it's not working. For no me. way, and no folders, no management, nothing like. This Pretty is a judgment-free much, like, zone, by the way. Like we're all yeah. invited to this convo. Like what? Whenever the spirit moves, I'll be like, you know what? <laughs> this should really be in a folder called receipts. I'm just going to move it here. But most of the time. 
it's kind of like, hey, it's there. Like if I wanted to find it, I could, you could just search for it. find it. <laughs> yeah, and you don't actually have a folder called receipts. You're just you're like, if there was, it would go in there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Hypothetically, exactly. I love it. Just, does this go in receipts? Does this go in banking? Oh, I don't know. I'm just going to put one of them. We'll it may or happens. may not be even real. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Okay. That's right. what in the world. Uh, what else do you have for what in the world? <laughs> All right, Ramya, I'm going to start by asking you a very simple question just to get your vibes on this. Uh, how are you doing? Uh, fine. Pretty well. Okay, cool. Okay. Um, so. I'm scared now, though. Of course, I've just triggered my Google Assistant by <laughs> saying, okay, I don't know how. Um, so that's basically how most people are expected to respond when asked how are they doing, right? They'll uh -huh. just say, fine. They don't mention their, you know, ailments they don't mention their oh, no. whatever's going on well elmo the muppet from sesame <laughs> street thought that he would uh achieve the same goal i don't really know why but he put out i don't know if i can even call it a tweet on x formerly twitter yeah mm -hmm. uh where he said elmo is just checking in how is everybody doing oh no well, with the best intentions, I'm sure. With the best intentions. People are not doing so good. Uh -uh. So I'm going to try and find uh, the best TV-friendly response. So one person wrote, Elmo, each day the abyss we stare into grows a unique <laughs> horror, one that previously unfathomable uh, goal in nature, our inevitable doom, which once accelerated in years, now in months, now in hours wow. and, and minutes. However, I How did creative, have creative though. Mm, I did have a good grapefruit earlier. <laughs> so that's good at least. Thanks for asking. Is there uh, such thing else, as a bad grapefruit? Okay. Mm, someone else wrote, every morning I cannot wait to go back to sleep. Every Monday I cannot wait for Friday to come. Every single day and every single week. Uh, things just go by. Uh, people kept writing more and more uh, extreme things until someone finally posted, this seems to be a little bit above Elmo's pay grade. <laughs> um, and facts. it ended... Yes, facts, exactly. <laughs> and it ended with nothing less than Elmo tweeting some mental health resources well, of course. that people could... Love where that was going. <laughs> and oh. apparent uh -huh. yeah uh -huh. apparently it actually fostered an interesting discussion about mental health and emotional wellness being a critical part of life and opened up that discussion a little bit however i think it was more of a discussion maybe than elmo and his social media people were anticipating oh yeah they did not sign up for this but i mean didn't they you know like first of all it's x okay we we already know the trajectory that x is going in and then secondly um this would make for a fantastic clinical study you know <laughs> like just the response level and how candid people were doing uh, going but also how poetic some of this stuff is my goodness <laughs> if anything i'm inspired to go and read this thread because i feel like people have really poured their heart out into this question how are you doing don't we often complain about like answering truthfully when people know, ask right? how you it's, are it's it's actually the most like insane question in our culture because people ask us this everywhere restaurants stores oh, whatever unconsciously and, yeah mm -hmm. 
and the correct response is good, pretty good. Yeah. You know, because you also you don't also don't, don't want to sound too overly happy, right? Right. Like, oh, I'm oh, great, yeah. best day ever. And the other person's like not. <laughs> they're not on that vibe. Yeah. Mm. Exactly. So good. How are you? Pretty good. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mm. All right. How do we search this up though? Like, if I go on X and just type in Elmo, yeah, how are you doing? Probably literally Google like Elmo asking people how they're doing. Okay. It'll come up. There were links to the thread in the article nice. uh, that I found. Uh, yeah. I feel like right. the social media team is going to have a discussion about focus. <laughs> Don't ask two open-ended questions. Ask what is your favorite moment from Sesame Street? <laughs> Not how are you? Uh, yeah. We got time for one more. Yeah, let's do Not one more. Sure we do. Uh, in the, uh, so it turns out within the next 10 years, the world is reported to see the first trillionaire, according to a report from Oxfam, uh, on uh -oh. global inequality. Uh, so it basically, it's going to be Taylor Swift, right? Yeah, no, just obviously. Kidding. Oh. Um, yeah, so want to hear that. <laughs> um, don't really have too long to get into it, but essentially uh, th the report was so severe that a lot of the super rich people signed a, uh, like a letter, quote unquote, uh, saying that they would actually be proud to pay higher taxes because the inequality is so severe that, uh, you know, there's, growing poverty in the u.s mm -hmm. and people can't eat but there's there's supposedly going to be the next trillionaire in the next 10 years can you imagine that like i would be okay with just like throwing away like a billion dollars because it wouldn't even matter i'm a trillionaire Oof. yeah it's rough right like i know on a on a you know a, a non-serious level this is gonna spin a whole bunch of debate but on a serious level yeah we, it, we're honestly like i think collectively at the point where when we look at people who are just brilliantly rich filthy rich no matter if they work hard or not we just we're like screw capitalism like it's gotten so bad because on the other end of the spectrum there are too many people um who are just not living life in a a fair or just way exactly mm. yeah grant wow we kind of swung the pendulum Depressing what in the world <laughs> <I know. laughs> from one side to the other like mental health but also look at this one guy who's super rich hate him all right thank you thanks that's what in the world with grant hardy we flip through quirky stories from around the globe most of them are funny but some of them are just thought-provoking uh we're gonna take a break and come back what not what, the buzz. <laughs> Usually it would be Beth, but we have Jeff Ryman filling in for her. And we're talking about Canadians living with dementia tripling in the next two decades. We'll be right back. It's Kelly and Ramia. Keep it here for more of Kelly and Ramya on AMI-tv. Welcome back. Sorry, I was just uh, sending a quick text to Brock Richardson. He's trying to take it all back, by the way. Can you imagine? He's trying to take back that he isn't hating on Taylor Swift. He's like, no, I love her. I just don't want her on my TV. But I think we all remember the faithful day when he followed uh, her name with the word yuck. Yep, still sits. Still sits with us, Brocky. We don't forget. 
that easily. Uh, we're back to Kelly and Ramya on AMI-audio, AMI-tv, and your favorite podcast platform, of course. Grant Hardy is going to be stepping in for a little bit as we have lost Kelly altogether. No problem. The show must go on. And speaking of which... On Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays, we have The Buzz, and this is to kind of cap off the first hour of the show. Beth, who usually fills in, she's filling in for Bill, Bill Shackleton is off, uh, isn't available today. So now we got Jeff Ryman filling in. Jeffy, what a uh, roulette. You know what? I'm just stretching my arms here, <laughs> getting, you know, dust off the old shoulder, uh, being dragged out from the bullpen. Um, but I will say this. This is quite the honor, the buzz. You know what? Yeah, when was the last I'm time you were sure, on the buzz? I'm sure I have filled in once upon a time. But way, I don't way think long. ever since we've transitioned to TV land, I don't think I've filled in. For yeah, Bill, I don't think so, um, and I don't even know if I filled in on Kelly and Company when we were just on audio. I'm sure it's I have been, a, been a part of discussions, but I don't think I've ever led. So, you know, this is this is quite the honor <laughs> filling in for Bill and for Beth. Like this is pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. And um, I uh, what was I going to say? I think that like with the amount of filling in and back and forthing we have going on with contributors on the show, or at least within our team, we should it for fun just not tell people who's going to be filling in and then just come on and be surprised i can barely keep track anymore we should like switch that. around every everybody's segments yeah, get everyone to do, do different stuff it, it's funny it. that you say that grant um i feel like we've <laughs> always discussed this in april's around the corner uh april 1st april 4th ah. like we have talked about doing this for so long <laughs> And I even feel like one year in rum, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but we did a show backwards, uh, like literally starting oh, yeah, we did. eight. <laughs> like we literally welcomed awesome. people. We totally did. We welcomed people by saying goodbye. Uh, and I think that was quite jarring for yeah. some people. And they're probably thinking, what the heck is going on? Yeah, we did like the what's but, coming up on the shows, as we call billboards, at the end of, or at the, yeah, at the end of the show, like we really twisted it up to the point where we yeah. were confused. I'm like, oh no, <laughs> whose idea was this? Probably Paula uh, Flawless. <laughs> throw, throw people under the bus, why not? Yeah. yeah. Like, I, I can do the uh, cooking segment. I can be like, oh, you take the one out of the that's, freezer. That's more than the bad, that's irony, right? Put the hamburger in the pan, yeah. put the hamburger in the bun, and you're done. Sorry, Jeff, go ahead. <laughs> Uh, I will start off with a bit more of a serious mm. um, article here. I know you just teed it up. Uh, I think it's worthwhile to mention as well. And I know we've talked about it a lot on our network, and that is dementia and Alzheimer's. And this is something that is not going to go away anytime soon. And, okay, so the headline reads, um, number of Canadians with dementia to grow by 187% by 2050. So in just over 25 years, um, the number of Canadians living with Alzheimer's or dementia will rise almost 200%. Um, quite scary stuff, especially if you're familiar with the infrastructure of the hospitals and how overrun they are. Uh, really scary. And this is something that's not going to go away soon. So we need to be acting right now. Um, but a new study finds that more services and support should be tailored to the unique and diverse communities, predicting that the number of those living with dementia will rise substantially in um, by 2050. Um, 
With a growing senior population in Canada, the study projects that in 26 years, more than 1.75 million people in the country will likely have the brain disorder, up from the estimated just under 600,000 by 2020. The Alzheimer's Society of Canada, which is a national charity for people living with dementia, such as the Alzheimer's disease, uh, released that report on Monday. The organization said it's one of the first studies focused on gaining better understanding of the many faces of dementia, which is considered a major public health problem in Canada and around the world. So really, really scary stuff here, guys. Like I said, there needs to be more support. Um you know, just with family and friends, uh, I'm sure we've all been touched by dementia or Alzheimer's in some way, shape or form. Um, and yeah, the, the lack of support has been um, astounding. And I really hope that going forward, we can do more because this is a pretty scary trajectory that we're on. And yeah, yeah like with the aging population, it, it is only going to rise. It's a difficult disability to have for sure but it's certainly a lot more scary if you just think about the lack of infrastructure like everything from preventative like you know seniors are often so isolated right and that's like a huge problem because you're not supposed to be isolated you're supposed to have lots of experiences and social interaction but but just the care like care and support and checking in and and nursing care and whatever else you might need that's just totally lacking yeah totally absolutely with the with the nurses in particular that's a scary one you know as somebody who has a number of friends in um working in hospitals mainly as nurses i mean they're already overrun as it is and that's just here in ontario that i can speak of but i'm sure it's probably similar right across the country that's something that needs to change um, I think we have to rely on the government um, for this and hopefully studies like this, especially when it comes from the Alzheimer's Society of Canada, uh -huh. who we've had them on the show before. And I know we've done many documentaries, especially on AMI audio uh, about, you know, the the, the, the sort of um, the, the consequences that, that, that are going to occur in the next 20, 30 years if we don't do anything. And I know there has been talks. Uh, of uh, like this has been a big deal for for quite some time but i feel like this should be you know elevated a little bit more into one of those top priorities i think that the government needs to really focus in on so yeah uh, just just hearing that that yes. headline almost 200 percent by 2050 going up 200 percent in the next 26 years is, uh, is 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 quite astounding, especially considering, like we just mentioned, the infrastructure we have in place right now. Could you imagine adding 200% more to that? It, it, yeah, it's it's quite scary. That's a lot. That's, yeah. that's all I can say. And, you know, just because it's still so much research to be conducted for us to know about, for us to understand, uh, about amnesia and about Alzheimer's and just in general the brain, right? So there's, I think, still not take it with jest, but uh, to understand that there's still so much to be discovered, I think is another yeah. very difficult aspect of it. Yeah, it, it's definitely one of those things I think is the research is still ongoing um, and, and we don't fully know exactly 
um, how or why or how to treat it necessarily. I mean, there are things that we are treating for it, but I don't, I still, like you're right. I think there's still so many question marks surrounding this disease. Um, yeah, just, just a lot that I think really needs to go into this from, from every point of view. So, uh, yeah, just, Same. just, just that headline really, really caught my attention. And, and I will say these articles came from Beth. So full credit to her for oh, finding yeah. that one, but that's a big one. That, that is a, one of those headlines that you, you can't really ignore. So, yeah. um, yeah. One more. I, I do want to yeah, I do have a, a bit of a more lighter, um, note here that we can end on. Um, and I know we've talked about it a little bit. Um, but those Stanley Cups, uh, and it's funny because when I hear Stanley Cup, I immediately think of hockey. Um, but it's those tumblers that people are just gobbling up. Like the consumers out there are just going nuts for these things. Mm -hmm. um, the, the Stanley Quencher, the 40-ounce uh, cup with the straw, it retails for, I think, around 60 bucks or so. People are just going crazy for these things. We're talking, and... like, sorry, just for a quick description. <laughs> we're talking about the tall cups with the lids and the hole yes. for the straw, right? That's right. As yep, if you're exactly. getting, like, a McDonald's and... drink, but, you know, made of, like, actual plastic or something. And there's a handle on it, too. Some of them that. have handles. Oh, I see. Um, okay. <laughs> so, you know, there's a... That I've seen that. Sorry. Yeah, like, oh, yeah. They're they're a big craze right yeah. now, man. Like all, all these things, like the, the Yeti as as well. Like yeah, everybody's just one. going nuts for this. Mm -mm. Um, but for some reason, uh, these Stanley Cups are 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 really the talk of the town. And um, <laughs> two Target workers say that they were fired. This is obviously in the states because Target is no longer in Canada, I believe. Um, but they were fired for for allegedly just buying one. They didn't steal it. They just bought one. And apparently that goes against Target's uh, policy, which is just really outrageous. I don't know. Maybe there's a reason behind that. Maybe that they can just sort of cut the line and sort of take one as it's been shipped. Um, maybe that's for the reason ah, why Target. But interesting. to be fired for purchasing, like they, they paid their out of their own money for these. Um, and... They got fired for it. And also just one even one step further <laughs> um, earlier that uh, this week, a 23 year old woman was ar arrested for allegedly stealing 65 of those Stanley Cups uh, with that geez. being worth. Get this. 65 of those are worth 30 or uh, $3,300 American. Um, so there is a pretty pricey price tag on that um but yeah it just goes to show how much people are willing to pay literally um for this um some lady got arrested for it and some people got fired from their jobs so uh i've never had one i'm not a huge fan of them i'm kind I've of gifted to try a few, one. But, but then i've yeah. busted them like completely open by dropping them on the floor water everywhere just absolutely <laughs> yeah mess. that's the thing that's yeah. the thing or you lose the straw or the yeah. lid or some of them are like doubled something. so you get the inside layer and then you know something between that and the outside kind of like a snow globe effect where there's sparkles yeah. or whatever in there and yeah. oh man that's made a big mess in my house too i don't yeah. know yeah this, like this is a big market grant would you use something <laughs> like, yeah. like this i uh, uh they're worth so much i feel like i'd have to sell it you know <laughs> i mean yeah maybe some of them are worth so much yeah i guess I used probably not so much i don't know i've never actually seen this so i can't really picture what True. it would look like but now i kind of want to get my hands on it yeah 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 i mean yeah. they are good if you if you want to keep your drink like icy cold for like i think they say it for like 24 hours yeah. it'll keep it nice and you cold don't want and same bugs thing in your for drink? 
because of <laughs> open cups. Ugh. That's a fair point. Yeah, that's no, seriously. Point. That's why Bring I got it my camping first one. or something. Yep. Yeah. Jeffy, we got to go. Thanks, man. All right. Later, guys. Buzz, Wednesdays, Thursdays, Friday to cap the first hour of Kelly and Rumia. Jeff Ryman filling in for Beth Deer, filling in for Bill Shackleton. Next hour includes the weekly roundtable. John Mel- John Melville, Vice President of Content Development and Operations at AMI, is joining us for that. Also, we're talking about the second anniversary of the war in Ukraine. We're speaking with Petro Sharin um, from the, the uh, Ukrainian-Canadian Congress, Toronto branch, about that. Uh, but up next, we're talking about packing some lunches and how to do it well with Mary Mammoliti of Kitchen Confession. Stick around. It's Kelly and Ramia. Keep it here for more of Kelly and Ravia on AMI-tv. We've got it covered for you, all of it, because we got so much conversation. You never know what's going to come your way when it comes to Kelly and Ramia. We're getting into hour two here. Myself, Ramia Amuthan, as well as Grant Hardy are hosting the show the rest of the way through. Bye, Kels. Bye. Thanks for being here. <laughs> for the short time you were. Let's get into, because it's Thursday, our weekly food conversation with Mary Mamaliti of Kitchen Confession. If you're like me, the kitchen is your favorite room in the house. I'm Mary Mammoliti, here with a handful of goodies from my kitchen, including food trends, cooking tips, and of course, some delicious recipes. Mary, this is a very good topic for today. How are you? I am fantastic. And you know, I'm always fantastic when I'm here talking food with you all. Yes. And also, you missed the convo we had about um, the Sesame Street character Elmo asking on X how people are doing (laughs) and then it getting into like a huge spiral session. So, you know, it's nice to have somebody answer saying uh, something good. (laughs) (laughs) Poor Elmo. Something something genuine too. You didn't just say I'm fine. You yeah, said yeah. always great when talking to us. That kind of makes us feel warm and fuzzy. Exactly. We oh, love Mary. I like that. I yeah. I yeah. Warm I mean, that's what fuzzy. I was aiming for. Well, that's what Elmo yeah. was aiming and for. I have too. my Stanley next to me. Do you? <laughs> I do. <laughs> Not I was when listening you in and I'm hearing the Stanley Cup talk and I'm like, ooh. Yep. There's yours. Have you ever had a fly in your water or something? <laughs> That's why I have the cups that are covered. There, see? Exactly. No joke about this, guys. Um, Mary, but I did get the Stanley before it was a hype. I just want to say. Yeah. Yeah, you were the first one, eh? You, you trendsetted. <laughs> the trendsetting. Yeah. yeah. We all say that. Okay, so yeah. um, today's topic, like I said, it is a yes. good one because whether or not we're preparing lunch for ourselves or your family, prepping and packing an entire week's worth of lunches can be... Uh, pretty time-saving if it's also efficient. So you're going to share five easy ways to prepare our lunches so that our Friday lunch is just as good as it was on Monday. I love these. It's yeah. it's like that meal planning subcategory. So what are some basic rules to follow when it comes to packing lunch for the week? Okay, the first one, it seems simple enough, but stock up on containers, right? Because you want to make sure you have enough containers for the week. 
Magic containers, they're ideal, not because they're aesthetically pleasing, but because they're easy to stack and keep tidy in your refrigerator. Because when they're all kind of evenly shaped, you can stack more in. Mm. Um, but honestly, if that's not your thing and you have a variety of them, use that. It can work. Um, also, keep small containers because we forget about the dressing and the dips. So you want to keep small containers handy as well. Next, you want to keep it simple, right? So reserve those intricate recipes for the weekend. Stick to straightforward options like sandwiches, pasta, salads, all that good stuff. Or anything that's easy to make, but anything that takes a little bit of time, same for the weekend when you have a bit more time. This one's my favorite, embrace repetition, right? Use some of the same lunch ingredients during the week. For example, the pasta salad the, that you had with chicken maybe on the Monday, use that up and use that as the pasta side for your veggie wrap on Thursday, mm. right? I like Just it. Just a couple oh, of key I, ones. I feel like, does it take a lot of kind of like executive functioning to kind of think all that through and think like, okay, this is going to make a few meals and, you know, this is the ingredients right. that I'm going to save for another meal. Like, I don't know. How do you kind of, how do you kind of tackle that? Or is it just something that comes naturally once you practice? Start small. So I mean, this is what I like to say. When you're starting meal prep, don't take on too much. Start small. Start with a couple of meals mm -hmm. um, and then make extra for leftover and then start working in your week. When you're comfortable with that week, use that as your template going forward. And you just change up one or two meals. Yeah. So that's it just makes smart. it that much easier. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like the the with the repetition, uh, like you said, embrace kind of. Yeah. But breaking it up with one or two new dishes throughout yeah. the week. That helps break up the monotony. Uh, mm -hmm. Exactly. What are some What are some frozen lunchbox additions that uh, would work well in prepacked meal uh, lunches for the week? Oh, I like this one too. Frozen corn, frozen peas, cooked edamame are nice. Um, they're great additions for lunchbox because they'll thaw in the fridge. They stay fresher for longer, so they transfer. They transport well. Um, frozen burritos. So you want to prepare these burritos with your favorite fillings. Wrap them up, freeze them, and. They can be taken on the go and then reheated in the microwave or toaster oven. Uh, frozen soup's another one that I like because if you make a big batch, you freeze them into, you portion that out into smaller containers and then freeze it because then you can reheat it in the microwave or the stovetop when you're ready to eat that. Okay, I really, really like the thawing in the fridge part, Mary, because I freeze mm -hmm. stuff all the time and not in this way that you're talking about portioning out yeah. in tiny little pieces, but um, yeah, I'll make like a batch of chili, which is ridiculous. It's like, you're always cooking chili <laughs> for eight people, right? And mm -hmm. then um, it, freezing that, but then I think, oh, it's so easy because I could just take it out a day or two ahead of time, put it in the fridge and now it's thawing and I have a meal. And yeah, you're taking it up another level and saying, use all this frozen stuff. I never thought about thawing um, things like frozen corn as part of yeah. a meal in the fridge. I know. There's little things that we, we tend to look over. And it's just so easy because you just pop it in your container and it does thaw out. Yeah. Yeah, like it's already doing the work for you. Brilliant. Um, mm -hmm. How do I know what's going to last, you know, shelf life and things like that for meal prep? Now, this was a question that all of us have had, at least at one point. I know I did when I was first starting off with meal prepping, and I was always worried that by day three, oh, can I still eat this? Yeah. Uh, but surprising, there are ways that you can extend the life, and I'll let you know what you can or what the shelf life is of some of these. So when they're stored correctly, refrigerated as needed, they can typically 
last a while and they're ranked like this. So cooking proteins uh, like chicken or tofu. So these are safe to eat within four, three to four days uh, when they're properly stored. And when you have this little checklist, it'll make your planning much easier because then you'll know when to put what meal, what day. Yep, true. Pasta salads, right? So they're best consumed within three to four days. So that falls under the protein category as well. And you put those in your three to four day category, depending on the ingredients or the dressings that you're using. Fresh fruits and vegetables, example, like cut fruits or fruit salads, um, sandwiches and wraps, they're typically best consumed within a few days to a week. So those can be last a little longer, so all week long. Mm. And when I'm saying a week, we're saying five days here. Okay, yeah. Um, yeah, I just want to make that clear. Leftovers. So leftover dishes, they can typically last three to five days, uh, three to five days in the refrigerator or freeze them. Yep. Because it extends the storage of them as well. I do that all the time. Same. Um, mason jar salads. So this one here, they can stay fresh for up to a week when the ingredients are layered correctly. So make sure when you are layering these little jars, you layer them up with a dressing at the bottom and then maybe something a little more like broccoli or um, maybe uh, some cherry tomatoes on top and then start layering from there. Soups and stews. These can last in the refrigerator for up to four to five days but then they can be frozen, right? So you get longer storage out of it. Like we were talking about the chili. Yogurt and dairy-based items. Most yogurts, they have a shelf life of about one to two weeks, right? But it depends on the brand and the type of yogurt, but typically one to two weeks, so you can carry that along for two weeks. Yeah. Frozen burritos and pre-made freezer meals. These can be stored in the refrigerator for several months, up to two to three months. And then there's frozen fruit. Keep that in the refrigerator. That can go up to a year if you want. Yeah, thank goodness, because oh, uh, I want smoothies yeah. in the summer, but not in the winter. Go, Grant. Sorry. Yeah. Oh, no worries. <laughs> yeah, I, I always wonder, because uh, there, there's some foods, you know, like vegetables, where when they go bad, they just get all kind of soggy and, you know, smelly, yeah, mm -hmm. and it's really easy to tell. But then other things like like meats uh, and some dairy as well, it's not as obvious when they are when not cooked. necessarily safe to eat so you really do have yeah. to pay attention to Very those, true. those timelines yeah 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 I, i'm like uh, better frozen than sorry <laughs> i'm the same That's, everything in the seems freezer seems like a good philosophy <laughs> uh, what are what are some other shortcuts that you can use to keep meal prep really stress-free and simple feel free to lean on convenience when you need it so this is this is key. So example, like pre-made items, like rotisserie chicken, or maybe you've got a favorite brand of pre-marinated ribs or chicken that makes dinner honestly a breeze. Or you're a fan of those like pre-packaged salad kits. Love them. They're great yes. for a quick and easy, tasty lunch. Premium prices also, though. My goodness. They really are. Oof. Yeah, <laughs> they really are. But if you're in a pinch and you need that, buy one, you know, split it up into two lunches. Um you can also keep some frozen stir-fry veggies on hand. I like this one because they're easy to toss into any weeknight dinner as well as a lunch. I really like it. Um, there's just a lot more options now, and especially considering food waste, right? Always the context of food waste is there. Uh, to, Absolutely. You know, yeah, to think this way, to obviously make things easier for ourselves and convenient, but also think, like, the less that we have to throw out. Um, what are some 
ways to avoid soggy sandwiches or salads? Because I've been thinking this the entire time as you're saying four to five days. I'm like, really? A five-day sandwich though? Mm, yeah. <laughs> you know what I wanted to add though? And it just before we move on, because I actually invested in a food saver. A food um, saver. That food saver. a food saver, which vacuum seals your food. So if you have leftover oh, items, yeah. you put them in this food saver. It can be a little pricey depending on which one you buy. Um, the prices vary. But it was one of my favorite investments because I I use it all the time. I don't want anything to go to waste. Mm. So I just, uh, I seal that up and pop it into the freezer. Okay. So it's like a big container, basically? Is that how it works? It's basically a bag. And you put the food Uh into the bag and it vacuum, you place it into this sealing device and it uh, vacuum seals everything for you. Can you reuse the bag? Bags? Or you got to throw it out? I haven't tried it, but I can't see why not. Okay. Yeah, if it'll re vacuum seal, it, I guess. Sick. Yeah, yeah. 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 Okay, cool. Okay. Now for soggy, soggy sandwiches, salad. We don't want that. No one wants that. Mm-mm. Right? Pack wet things separately. So, chicken salad sandwiches, I love them. They're so good. They're delicious, especially when they're made fresh. But the last thing we want is that soggy sandwich midweek. So, pack the chicken salad and the bread in, se- in their own separate compartments. Right? Or own separate containers if you have that. Keep them separate. I mean, it works the same way for salad dressings. Keep them mail for sandwiches in their own containers. This way, you can enjoy that delicious lunch Monday all the way through Friday without any sogginess. Love it. Mary, these are such good tips. We've got five mm-hmm. pro tips from you and uh, appreciated all of them. Well, thank you, guys. It was thank so you. much fun. Oh, real quick, you want to tell us about Dish with Mary airing tonight? <gasps> Absolutely. Okay, tonight, 9 a.m. Eastern Standard, um, this week's episode, I'm traveling to St. John, New Brunswick. We're meeting up with Chef Jordan of Steamers Lobster Company. So she takes us on a lobster boat. She travels to my kitchen for a delicious seafood extravaganza. Um, And then she shares how she got started in the industry, in the culinary world. Okay, that's awesome. Looking forward to it. Thanks, Mary. Thank you. Also available on AMI Plus, along with a lot of other AMI-TV originals. Catch Dish with Mary tonight. Uh, Also go to kitchenconfession.com for more of her cool tips and discussions and recipes. And if you're on podcasts anyways, may as well subscribe to Kitchen Confession, the podcast. We're going to take a break and come back to talk about uh, the situations going on in Ukraine, of course, where approaching the somber second anniversary of the war. So we'll be speaking with Petro Sharin, uh, president of the Ukrainian Canadian Congress, the Toronto branch of Out of Plan Rally in Toronto. That's happening later this month. We'll find out more about that initiative on Kelly and Ramya. Don't go away. There's more great conversation with Kelly and Ramya right around the corner. You're tuned into Kelly and Ramia on AMI-TV, AMI-audio, and podcasts. That's where you can find the show. We are here every weekday with two hours of a variety of content. I'm Ramia Amadhan with Grant Hardy, and we're going to be talking about a uh, something somber, something very familiar, of course, if you're paying attention at all to anything ever in the news. Um, we are, you know, remembering and understanding the war on Ukraine. We're 
approaching the second anniversary of this war. So we want to speak to a guest about how things are going and how we can continue to understand, to learn, and to potentially be involved and to help out. So uh, Petro Stern is the president of the Ukrainian-Canadian Congress, the Toronto branch. And we're going to talk about a planned rally in Toronto that's happening later this month in February. Petro, thank you for coming on Kelly and Ramia. My pleasure. Thank you. Um, let's start with that kind of vague question. I want to get your feelings as we approach the second anniversary of the war on Ukraine. How are you feeling and reflecting? Well, it's uh, obviously challenging time for anybody of Ukrainian background, particularly people as myself that have family and friends in Ukraine um, going through the incredible hardship. And for us, uh, yes, it's two years since the full-scale invasion, but it's actually 10 years since Russia invaded southern Ukraine and Crimea. So, in effect, this war has been going on for 10 brutal years. But that said, uh, we're ever hopeful that Ukraine, that Ukraine continues to fight a great fight, resists, and they actually have no choice but to actually to win and push back Russia to the borders that were recognized 10 years ago. Can you, can you give us a little bit of perspective on just, we, we all hear about it, it's far from home for a lot of us, but actually having family and friends who are facing that reality, like how does it just sort of feel? Like how do you kind of get through the day, if you know what I mean? Yeah, the, the best example I could give is actually uh, the Ukrainian National Ballet, now or the National Ballet of Ukraine, was just in Toronto for four shows at the Ed Edmurvish Theatre. They, they were sold out. And <laughs> it was fascinating to talk with these dancers. So this is their story. So they used to perform six times a week in the capital, KU, before the massive And now they only perform four times a week but they can only have tenacity in the theater for safety reasons. So if bombs start to drop, they have to live, leave as quickly as possible. And I explained, I asked them, I said, how, how do you, you know, it, it may seem almost harder for you here because you don't understand that you don't, your air raids will happen virtually every day, but we continue, we carry on. We provide those cons from moment of respite for for Ukrainians to go and see the ballet, to go see a shinyus, but at the same time they're ever mindful that ever mindful that when an air raid happens, they told me the children, where are they? Are they in a safe place? So it's horrific, but at the same time are incredibly resilient people. Um, that are basically showing the world that how to stand up to a bully and to a dictator and to a country that wants to completely wipe you off from the face of the earth. Yeah, it's that's absolutely the word I was going to use is like just resilience. Like it's amazing how on the one hand there there would just be this constant like fear, you know, serious disruption to your lives but on the other hand it's like you still go see the ballet and you know light you try and make life 
go on and build the best life possible under the circumstances. That's really an interesting part of, I guess, just being human. Um, I'm not sure if we still have Ramya or if I'm, I'm losing here. Oh, yeah, sorry. Right. There you go. Sorry, we're just having some uh, audio troubles with God. you, Pedro. Yeah, I think. Um, uh, you've planned a uh, rally yeah, in Toronto. Up. I'm sorry. Oh, hey. yes. Yeah, we've got a couple of delays for you. I wasn't sure if it was you or me. I think it might be our guest, and we might want to try reconnecting. I'm still, I'm still here. Um, I just wonder if it's uh, if it's just not my uh, my wife, but I see that I have a Wi-Fi connection. So, yeah, Dude. we're gonna try reconnecting with you, Petro, and and get back into this conversation because obviously we want to know about the upcoming rally as well and the intentions around it. Uh, but Grant, you were saying, no, yeah, I. I it's fascinating, really, isn't it, the the human spirit? Because I think we always wonder how we would react, how we would handle mm -hmm. that kind of just horrible, traumatic and abusive, you know, situation. And here I am just, you know, sitting here at home and I've, I've never experienced something right. like that. Uh, but it, just hearing about that juxtaposition between, like, safety and living in panic and just having to deal with what they're dealing with but at the same time just trying to have fun and, and go on with life uh, it's really very fascinating what do you think yeah i mean and we've talked about in this topic specifically and in the context of um people in the ukraine uh, having having that exact sentiment right that you you got to kind of move forward with uh different parts of your life or feel that resilience in different parts of your life even though you feel powerless and potentially hopeless in other aspects and i think that you know a lot of that is internal but also a lot of that is just communal right like there's there's so much where the community itself has said we band together with this intention, um, which is exactly. very, very hard to imagine. Uh, you know, I think about like how, what kind of effort, what kind of strength that takes to be able to, you know, know that there are things that are potentially out of your control, right? The day to day, uh, potentially getting more and more violent and your life, your safety, your livelihood, your family, all of these uh, aspects are at risk in so many drastic ways and yet you have to choose to be able to build strength and and approach it in these other ways exactly and i actually found one really interesting thing that he touched on was mm -hmm. child safety like on the one hand you would literally like i need to know where you are and we need to have a plan at all times kind of thing on the other hand i would imagine a lot of children are like i would still like to go hang out with my friends or i'd like to do you know this and that yeah and I, I would imagine that would be a really really tough balancing act ramia yeah i mean and we're hearing about this in other contexts as well when it comes to war right just how uh, the safety of children is is so much at the forefront because we're talking about 
you know, the vulnerability and, and attacking vulnerability in the sense to those people in our communities, those parts of our communities that we know are just like retaliation in whatever way we want to talk about, um, but especially in this way seems is completely unjust. Um, and I, I wonder, it, you know, when and how we can get that message across because it feels like we're so headed in this direction of hate. For sure. Yeah, just getting the message across to the people at home without ties, or I mean, we all kind of are interconnected, but people who don't feel like they have the direct ties to the things that we see on the news all the time and the horrors of what's happening, kind of get it across yeah. that hate is is just so terrible and it's uh we're really destroying and affecting a lot of lives in numerous ways yeah of course oh. petro i believe we, we have, have you back? back i think so yeah i'm right here perfect i'm here all right we got you over the phone um so we wanted to ask you about the planned rally that's supposed to take place where is it taking place let's talk about that and also the intention Sure. So it is the anniversary. Uh, we'll be marking two years since the full-scale invasion and 10 years uh, since the first time Russia went across its border and, and claimed Ukrainian territory. So it's February 24th, uh, and uh, it's a Saturday. We will be gathering in front of City Hall in Toronto, Nathan Phillips Square, as we did last year. Uh, last year, we had over 10,000 people attend. Um, and we were joined uh, incredibly by the prime minister, the premier, and the deputy mayor. It's the first time we had all three leaders of all three levels of government show up on stage uh, rallying in support of Ukraine. So the main message is there is um, uh, it is in so vital to for Canada and particularly all Western countries to support Ukraine because Let's face it, it's a democracy that's being attacked by Russia, which is not a democracy, and, and Belarus, which is, which is also a dictator president that's been in, Lukashenko has been in power for 30 years. So, uh, you know, if we want to see democracies disappear in Europe, um, that is a terribly bad trend. And so here's Ukraine on the forefront, and all we ask is for Canadians to continue to support and at the same time turn to their politicians and say, yeah, this is a good thing. Supporting people fighting for their right to exist is a good thing and it's a good thing for the global economy. Ukraine is one of the biggest grain producers in the world. Um, if Ukraine is wiped off, um, you could look towards higher bread and food prices because, again, Ukraine mm -hmm. is one of the world's major exporters. So the Russians are using that as a weapon. They've been blowing up grain silos. They tried to embargo all the ships leaving the ports. Um, Ukraine has figured out a way to get around that, thankfully. Uh, they sank another Russian boat today that was going to go and blow up some things. So uh, it, it affects us all in the end. I mean, if, if Europe is involved in a war, where does it end? And we know Russia's history. They've never stopped. They've never stopped at, at, at one border. At one point, you know, Poland and all of Eastern Europe was under Russian state control in the Soviet Union. Do we want that again? Do we want millions of other people being affected by that? Um, so why not stop it there at a minimal, minimal cost? And eventually, you know, if Ukraine wins, 
then we'll hopefully could look at to a moment for regime change in Russia and maybe maybe democracy can finally come to that country and the world would be much better off for it. Uh, Petro, tell us uh, one more time where people can go to support, because obviously this cause is uh, not only important, not only was it important when it first started to to come into our awareness, but we're getting to different phases of the the intentions around importance and supporting. Sure, sure. Well, the the main one is we have a a foundation called the Canada-Ukraine Foundation. So it's basically Mm cufoundation.ca. This foundation uh, is a registered Canadian charity, and it has been providing aid at all levels uh, in Ukraine and as well for for uh, displaced persons that have come to Canada. Canada has issued over a million visas. They're only temporary work visas uh, for three years, and uh, about 200,000 people have come to Canada to seek refuge. Certainly, if, you know, if you're living in towns on the front lines, uh, that's not a place you want to stay. So many have come to Canada and have rec- needed support. We know how expensive it is to live in, in most parts of Canada. Um, so that's been a challenge. But... At the same time, providing food and uh, medical aid and support uh, for Ukrainians uh, in Ukraine, uh, that's important. I mean, there's, there's still over 35 million people. It's 40 million, they believe, before the full invasion. But there's 35 million. It's basically the population of Canada. It's not a small country. It's one of the larger countries in Europe. Now, can you imagine if 20 million of them were forced to flee because Russia took over? That's what they do. Can you imagine 20, 20 million people trying to flee and go and into Europe, into Canada, just to get away from that uh, tyranny? Uh, so, yeah, so it's just, it's, just it's so much easy. It's so much easier just to support this. It's it's I mean, it's the it's the the effect as if you know uh, the U.S. came in and invaded and took twenty percent of Canada and the whole southern border. How would we deal with it? So. But let's not forget one other thing I always tell people and I tell when I'm interviewing, I tell reporters is we think we're so far away. But if anybody has anybody ever looked north of Canada and you look on the other side of the Arctic Circle, we share the largest border with any other country in the world with Russia. Yeah, Russia is there. We have four time zones. They're right there. And they've already they've already indicated they believe Alaska is still theirs. And they've said that the mineral rights for the for the north. Um, should be theirs. So one yeah, day there's... we could be facing off against Russia in the north if they continue to to do things as they want. And we know there's an awful lot of mineral wealth in the Arctic, um, anything from oil to to diamonds to to other minerals. Uh, we could be facing them down one day if they're not stopped. Well, there's yeah, you can you can. You can have as many democratic laws as you want, right? But what really matters more is your neighbors and how they interact with you. Mm, exactly. Hey, you're a, absolutely right. There's always something to fight about. Uh, Petro, thank you so much for uh, highlighting the rally and reminding us, of course, uh, to keep our attention and focus on this issue at hand. And I really appreciate you coming on the show for it. Thank you very much. February 24th, 3 p.m. Thank you for okay. your support. Thank you. Thank you. We were speaking with Petro Sturin, president of the Ukrainian-Canadian Congress, the Toronto branch, and we were highlighting this planned rally in Toronto that is later in February. After the break, we are going to our weekly roundtable, run without Kelly McDonald, but we will have the uh, conversations that he had planned and laid out for us. We'll be right back.
It's fun, insightful, and inclusive. Kelly and Ramya return in a minute. It's Kelly and Rumia on AMI-audio, AMI-tv, and your favorite podcast platform. Thanks for tuning in. Whenever you tune in, we love it because we think that you'll enjoy the kinds of conversations that we bring to the table for you. And of course, by we, I mean our contributors, our guests, and, uh, you know, everyone else who we wrangle on to the show. It's time, with or without Kelly, <laughs> for the weekly roundtable. Let's get to it. Isn't it convenient that we have a round table? Well, it's actually it oval. Just say yeah. it. The blind guy feels it now, goes, well, I guess it is oval. Kind of oval. We have um, one of our favorite returning guests who comes on the round table. Things have definitely changed in terms of like setup. Because the way that I remember this guest coming on is in the dark in Studio 5 and audio only. But it's okay. He can return and we still enjoy our time together. We're talking about John Melville, Vice President of Content Development and Operations at Accessible Media Inc. John, nice to have you back on. Great to be here. Thanks for the nice introduction. And uh, hi, Rami. Hi, Grant. Hi. Great to have you with us. Yes, and Kelly's not here, guys, but I will say we are completely channeling Kelly. You might as well call okay. me Kelly because uh, he's picked the clips. He's got the questions. He's taking us down memory lane, mostly you, John. Uh, so I will do my best to be Kelly for the next 18-ish minutes. So let's start with this one. Former Toronto Blue Jays manager Jimmy Williams is dead at age 80. Let's find out what happened. The Blue Jays confirmed the news via social media post, but did not provide a cause of death. Jimmy Williams joined the Blue Jays in 1980 as third base coach and was promoted to manager in 1986. He won 86, 96, and 87 games in his first three seasons as skipper, but didn't make the playoffs. He was fired in 1989 after Toronto got off to a 12-24 and start. Williams went on to manage the Boston Red Sox and Houston Astros. Jimmy Williams, dead at age 80. Greg Strong, the Canadian Press, Toronto. John, question for you from Kelly. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about your career when you were working with Telemedia covering the Blue Jays? Does this ring hard for you, the death? Uh, absolutely. Um, first of all, uh, condolences to Jimmy's family and, mm. and the Blue Jays organization. Um, Jimmy was a, a long-serving uh, member of the, the team's management uh, management and uh yeah it, it was it was a kind of a love-hate relationship that uh, toronto had with jimmy back uh, i was uh, a young guy 25 years old when the jays did their incredible drive for 85 in 1985 uh and it was the year after that that jimmy took over as uh, as third base coach uh, or rather the manager and um, he unfortunately there were a few changes went on in the late 80s uh with the club, they they had come off this incredible season where they almost made the playoffs. They were beaten by the Royals, 
uh, didn't advance any further, but it was Toronto's first taste of playoff baseball. Uh, they were down at Exhibition Stadium in those days. And I, I, I later was started work after I came out of Humber College, um, uh, working at Telemedia Network Radio, which was the uh, the blue the voice of the Blue Jays, uh, Tom Cheek and Jerry Howarth. Mm. Um, and and actually, Jimmy uh, started his career in 1980 with the Jays, which I think was a couple years just before Jerry joined the team as uh, the announcer. Um, but uh, things didn't go very well uh, around, as you heard, 89, they let mm -hmm. him go. Um, the, you know, as it isn't the Toronto uh, fans, uh, you know, calling for the manager's head or the coach's head, they, they did get it. And the Jays promoted Cito Gaston. Uh, and as you guys know, uh, Cito went on to lead the Jays to a uh, 1992 World Series and 1993 World Series over the Braves and the Royals, or the uh, uh, Phillies. So, uh, yeah, um, very much a part of uh, Toronto's building process, the Blue Jays' building process, uh, at a time when the team was uh, getting its first taste of uh, playoff baseball. Now, did you feel that his legacy, Jimmy Williams' legacy as a coach, was building while you were working there? Or does this feel like, a, you know, an incredible loss now, kind of looking back? Well, absolutely, his legacy was building, in my opinion, when when the Jays were in that late 80s period. Um, while they weren't performing at the level they needed to to get into the playoffs, um, the nucleus of the team that Jimmy had, that Cito took over, um, was, in my opinion, one that kind of led them to the playoff baseball and, and World Series that they would win a couple of years later. Um, the Jays made a lot of management or changes in those days. Um, Pat Gillick was uh, was the uh, general manager, and uh, it was uh, some of the best players in baseball were being uh, being added to the Blue Jays roster. Um, and it really kind of kicked off after they got that taste of victory in 85 uh, as they moved forward uh, through the decade. And uh, Jimmy was m very much a part of that, really kind of bringing a true baseball uh, man's uh, perspective to the game. Um, and, and again, that's my opinion. There there might be others that may disagree, uh, but it's very sad. Uh, as Jays now, you know, managers, uh, players, we've lost a few players. As they start to pass on, uh, you know, we have fond memories of the, of of the, the time they played in Toronto. Yeah, and fond reflections uh, through the ups and downs of the team as well as the game. Yes, uh, indeed. John, thank you. Let's move to some uh, housing situations going on and loans. Housing Minister Sean Fraser announced that post-secondary institutions will be eligible to apply for low-interest loans to build student housing starting this fall. To boost student housing in the country, the federal government is tweaking a pre-existing program to make universities, colleges, nonprofits, and private developers eligible for low-cost financing to build residences on and off campuses. The apartment construction loan program was topped up with an additional $15 billion this fall bringing the total funding available to $40 billion. The announcement comes as the federal government grapples with a ballooning international student program that has added strain to local housing markets. Nujuda Amalisekne in Press, Ottawa. Okay, now, of course, there are a lot of different parts of this we can dissect. Um, you know, for me, the first thing that I think of is the international student problem. Is that how she worded it? Anyways, so, Grant, do you feel like this is a cop-out of really dealing with the situation? 
yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's one of those things where anything is better than nothing, right? But housing is just such an unsolved riddle here, and especially for students, because at least where I went to school uh, at the time, I don't know if they would actually be able to sustain this now, but uh, first year uh, international students were guaranteed housing. Right. Uh, and then after that, nobody was guaranteed any housing, so they would just have to kind of set out on their own and a lot of people ended up living in not only expensive but also just plain dangerous or illegal situations Mm. where you would you know chop up a basement into like four different suites or something and try and cram as many people in as as you could uh it's 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 just crazy and i don't think that uh, the solution is just to reduce international students necessarily. We need to build and build and build. So, yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's, it's something. I'm just not sure it's enough. Yeah, it's interesting the way that we point fingers, right? Like you can tell that we're at this point of friction around housing altogether across Canada in so many different ways. And now we're saying, whew, okay, we don't want to deal with this. So blame the students, you know, cut it off here, <laughs> um, which makes absolutely no sense to me. And I'm not sure if what I want makes sense anyways, which is exactly what you said. We need more housing. We need to provide more housing. John, how about you? Where they're starting with kind of putting the blame on or prioritizing the problem? What are your reactions? Well, it feels a bit like closing the door after the horse has bolted right. uh, the barn door. Um, yeah. You know, yet again, uh, I think this is federal government, uh, you know, throwing money at a situation, um, don't feel there's any strategy behind either their uh, student, em- uh, you know, temporary immigration policy for students uh, or their um, long-term on you know, where are immigrants going to be housed when they come to Canada? Um, one of the, the big issues that I've heard about reading between the lines, both from federal and provincial levels and even municipal, is the amount of regulatory uh, encumbrances that lie in ahead of building anything. Uh, I hear, for example, in the city of Toronto, where some of these universities or, or institutions are based, for example, um, it can take years to get permits to put uh, housing up. Uh, you know, they, even the conversion of existing buildings to a different use, say an office building turning into a residence. Um, the regulatory is is standing in the way of that. And right. no matter how much money the federal government or the provincial government throw at the issue, municipalities are the ones that really control where building is going to mm. go. So I think we may need to get to the root of that as well. It's nice the money's being made available through lowering an interest rate. But on the other hand, is anything ever going to get built? Yeah. And we yeah, haven't even... Exactly. And the trickle effect of all of these things, right? Like, we're not talking about um, something that is uh, able to fix, how do you say it, like able to be fixed with this one solution. It obviously will have a chain effect on everything else housing as well and everything else non-housing. So uh, I'm curious about, you know, other people's reactions to this and whether or not it'll go through. Next Topic, Amazon has called off its proposed acquisition of iRobot because of what it calls undue and disproportionate regulatory regulatory hurdles. 
The companies say in a joint statement they entered into a mutual agreement to terminate their announced acquisition agreement and express disappointment. The deal was facing antitrust scrutiny on both sides of the Atlantic. The European Commission, the EU's executive arm and top antitrust enforcer, had informed Amazon last year of its preliminary view that the acquisition of the robot vacuum maker would be anti-competitive. Amazon announced in 2022 that it would buy iRobot. But the value of the deal fell 15% after iRobot incurred new debt. Amazon will pay the company a termination fee. Charles Tillotesma, London. Now we can talk about the the seriousness or the regulations around this if you guys so choose. Or we can go with Kelly's question, which is, what would you want made into a robot if you had the opportunity and power to do so? So, Grant, your choice. Oh, that's a tough one. I mean, from <laughs> an, from an antitrust perspective, I don't know that antitrust has ever made a lot of sense to me in terms of what they go with and, and what not, because there are just mm. some things that I think are clearly uncompetitive. But then a robot vacuum? I don't love companies buying other companies, but I don't know that I see it as necessarily the most anti-competitive thing in the world. Curious, John, about your thoughts on this. Uh, I'm going to take Kelly's uh, question. Because <laughs> <Okay. laughs> um, it jumped right into my mind as soon as you said it, Ramya. Mm. Um, I would uh, I would want a robot that can help me uh, in the kitchen cooking, uh, particularly cutting things, because ah. I'm, I'm fearful yeah, be nice. with knives, um, particularly, you know, things like, you know, when you want to chop mushrooms and carrots or you know scraped carrots or particularly onions you got to get right over them right and it's like everything's stinging you um so i think yeah if you had a and it you know it could be doesn't have to be big it doesn't have to be a humanoid size but right. it could be you know like by the side of the the uh, cutting board something like that i think that would be a great application and uh yeah i can't really uh, uh Amazon's just trying to take over the world, aren't they? So I in mean, one way or another, know, yeah. Practically anything's antitrust with those guys, I think. Practically, and also, you know, I really, very late to the game, recently learned how big these robot vacuums are and how uh, widely used they are. So I'm actually not surprised that the com competition laws and and uh, uh, curio not curiosity necessarily, but people putting their foot down around these things are happening. Um, around us and also john you know there are gadgets out there that cut for you but i guess you want it fully automated well just the idea of yeah being able to go and uh watch like, tv while it cuts yeah. the vegetables yeah, yeah no <laughs> supervision required love it thanks john appreciate you thanks so much guys appreciate being here John Melville joins us, Vice President of Program and um, Program Development and Operations here at AMI. Works a lot with AMI TV. Grant, thank you for your opinions as well. Always love having you on the roundtable and with any conversation. Taking a break. Coming back to wrap up the show with you, going to tell you about some myths around the kitchen. Thanks, John, for bringing that up. And uh, we're going to tell you what's coming up on Now with Dave Brown tomorrow, the morning show. We'll be right back. We'll be back with more of Kelly and Ramya after this short break. Thanks for sticking around. It's Kelly and Ramya. You can catch us on AMI-TV and AMI-audio. You can also catch us on demand on your favorite podcast platform. Grant Hardy and Ramya Amuthan, we were hosting majority of the show together, although our 
favorite friend Kelly McDonald did make an appearance at the start of the show. And then he just got out of here, left us <laughs> to channel him for the roundtable. And it was a lot of fun. So shout out it to him. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. Shout out to a lot of the behind the scenes um, help and support that's been going on with today's show. We are going to tell you what's coming up on Now with Dave Brown tomorrow morning. You can check them out, 9 a.m. Eastern Time on AMI-tv, live every weekday. And on the Friday edition of the show, they've got the Friday news panel with journalist McK M Michelle McQuig, Joita Gupta, host of The Pulse. Uh, they're going to discuss with Dave some of the notable stories of the week, including the fallout from the ongoing Hockey Canada scandal. There's a lot to discuss there, always. London police have charged five players of Canada's 2018 World Junior Team for an alleged sexual assault. Uh, they're also going to be discussing the ramifications of the charges are around that. I guess that's not also, that is part of that story. Laura Bain will have the entertainment report for us. Greg David from AMI's marketing department will discuss more about the all-access comedy special. Wow, they're bookending that conversation because we chatted about that on Monday. Uh, February 9th is when you can mark your calendars for when that comes out on AMI Plus, by the way. Okay, Grant, it's time to get to our closing moment. I've been waiting to share this stuff with you guys <laughs> all day, all right? These are seven food myths that you should not be believing. Um, so basically, this person who wrote this blog post, uh, essentially blog post, uh, is talking about, you know, how there's a lot of culinary myths out there, a lot of kitchen advice that is shared, and some of it is just simply not true. And we just kind of pick up things wherever we go and not necessarily research into or research past the headlines to know, hey, maybe um, this is not the actual thing that I should be following. Right. And you've been doing it sometimes for generations, yeah? So number yep. one. Searing meat, and this is not the myth, by the way, this is the true um, fact of it, as okay. this person says. Searing meat does not lock in juices. When you cook meat, it does lose moisture, even if it is seared, but that doesn't mean that searing meat or searing a steak, for example, isn't worth it because the process of heating it up in general makes it more flavorful. Brown crust on your meat as well, which everybody loves. So keep searing those uh Burgers and steak, yeah. You can use soap to uh, clean your cast iron skillet. This is a huge controversy in the culinary world. A gentle wash with some suds won't remove that seasoning that we've been locking into our cast iron skillets. Um, you can, you know, you have the seasoning adhered to the skillets and that is going to stay because it's such a thick layer. It's not going to get removed by the soap. Uh, cool. Mary has brought this up on the show as well. So I think that she'll get a kick out of knowing that one. Adding olive oil to your pasta water. Heard about how it's supposed to prevent your noodles from sticking? Well, they say it's not helpful because Number one, olive, I mean, oil and water do not mix. So if you want to prevent mm. your noodles from sticking, make sure you cook al dente and stir that dry pasta frequently after adding it to the pot. Also, if you're eating cookie dough raw and you think, oh, it doesn't have eggs in it, so it's all right, it's all good, they're saying it's still bad for you because of raw flour. It's a common cause of food poisoning. It's listed as one of the CDC's most common sources of foodborne illness. Quickly, cheddar cheese is not naturally orange. If you're choosing between white and orange at the grocery store, you're literally choosing between artificial flavoring or paprika-dyed flavoring and not just like the natural color of the cheese. 
Ooh, interesting. That was the most cruel childhood lesson I learned is you cannot eat the cookie dough no matter how good it tastes. (laughs) I know. (laughs) How dare they? I'll take my poison. Uh, On Fridays. Thank you. I enjoyed finding them. On tomorrow's edition of Kelly and Remia, Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern, we're going to have our app update with John Beeler talking about a new AI tool about uh, delivery markups. On the chatty bookshelf, Ryan Hui tells us about the story graph, which is being described as a cataloging app for readers. I can't wait to trash Uber Eats and DoorDash and skip the right. dishes tomorrow on the show. I cannot. Thanks, Grant. Catch us tomorrow Cheers. at 2 p.m. Eastern on AMI-tv. Kelly and Remia. I remember the days I was so adventurous with my best friend from high school. Her name was Yakin. And Yakin and I would basically, this is what we'd do, back before we knew the TTC as well as we did, back before it was just second nature to know what stations were on what lines and where you were headed, we would just get on the train, engage in conversation, and just out of the blue, out of nowhere, with no reason all at all, say, we're getting off here. And we just get off at a station and go exploring. And it was so fun. We'd end up doing these things on just like the random days, random times of the year. And one day, we didn't even realize till later, it was Friday the 13th, we had gotten off at a station, it turned out that we were exploring around the U of T downtown campus. So University of Toronto, That's near Museum Station, right? You can tell how much of this stuck. Clearly, geography is my thing. So anyway, it was fabulous because that place is an absolute castle. It is gorgeous. There's so much beautiful architecture. The place is surrounded by grass. And it's just down in the middle of freaking downtown where you don't expect the aesthetics to be as they are. And we loved it. The cobblestone, we took so many pictures. At one point near the beginning, we didn't even know where the hell we were. And that it was even U of T. Like, it was out of our recognition at that point. And, uh, you know, so we started to kind of realize these things as we went. And it was just such a memorable time. And I don't know what jogged my memory of this sentiment uh, that we used to hang out this way. But... I think maybe because as an adult, we don't do as much this way in in the form of random, spontaneous exploration and just getting lost for the sake of getting lost. And maybe it was that conversation around risky play and being okay with the scabs and injuries and not knowing what's going to happen to you when you take part in these things. But it is lovely to do it. You feel a little delinquent and a little rebellious for having done so. I'm Margaret Shepard of the AMI podcast, Tripping On Air. Every month, my co-host Alex Hajar and I spill the tea on what it's really like to live with MS. Watch Tripping On Air on YouTube or download wherever you get your pods.